2: the story. Outwardly everything's okay, but I think kind of underneath, you know, I just know like I'm still really fractured and because I don't have the full memories back or full healing you know, I think it's just that kind of continual battle for me, because I think for me, you know, my default is constantly, you know, that I'm bad that I'm evil, and so that's actually like operate sadly kind of underneath
0: my day-to-day existence G'day, I'm Jimmy Colfax. Welcome to The Story. Well, today, once again, we'll be talking about a very heavy topic Satanic Ritual Abuse, or SRA. So, once again, parents, you might want to have your children involved in an activity in another room while you listen to today's conversation. Our guest, once again, is Donna who is a satanic ritual abuse survivor, and she's sharing her story. Also joining us once again is Christian counsellor Deborah Battersby, who specialises in issues relating to childhood trauma and abuse and has counselled satanic ritual abuse survivors. Donna and Deborah are chatting with Eric Scatterbo in our Melbourne studios. Welcome back to the program,
3: Donna and Deborah. Thank you, Eric. Thanks, Eric. Glad to have you back on the program. And before we get started... Donna, sharing your story, I want to read a little bit from your testimony. You wrote, My mind was fractured and disassociated so that memory fragments or parts of self were formed to hold the trauma. My past was amnesic, buried in terror and extreme fear. I disconnected and rejected myself as a survival mechanism and lived in the safety of my head. So now going back to last time you were sharing with us about the time that you went to two ladies who were praying for you, and right in the middle of that prayer, you suddenly found yourself in a different personality, like in the mind of a teenager. Is that kind of what you shared?
2: Yeah, it is, yeah. who A teenager who believed that the abuse, because I knew that I had been abused, mm. I just kind of didn't really have a lot of story around that, um, believed that it was her fault, like mm-hmm. she caused it.
3: Hmm. And so that's what was going on inside of you. And you also shared that they were not fazed by it. They just continued praying and knew that Jesus was stronger than any evil spirit that might have been impacting you or trying to control you.
2: Very much so. And that it was um, directly linked to like the amnesic uh, trauma that mm-hmm. had happened. And they'd experienced that before and mm-hmm. were able to kind of minister in and speak to that mm-hmm. um, and, you know, really use Jesus to kind of, um, I guess, to show
3: who was boss. Mm-hmm. Wow. And so it's comforting to know he is boss. Yeah. Greater is he who is in you than he that is in the world. God is stronger.
2: Yeah, because it's such a disempowered. State that a survivor is in. Mm-hmm. It's very hard to think that anything other than the abuser or abusers um, are more powerful. Mm-hmm. And I, like I, I believe, like love and goodness is definitely more powerful. But when you're in those moments of fear and terror, mm-hmm. it's not like you know, just you know that that those concepts become
3: really easy. Mm-hmm. Now, Deborah, help us understand from a counselor's perspective what is this called?
1: The clinical diagnosis would be dissociative identity disorder. It was previously known as multiple personalities, but that's been changed. Um, I guess to sort of make it really easy to understand uh, through my work with survivors of of abuse, it's where the child, and it's often, it's it's a young child, experiences overwhelming abuse whereby, I guess it's almost like they lose their mind. It is so intense. It's so intolerable. It's like there's a part of their brain that literally just short circuits, shuts down. But because they're still actually conscious through whatever it is that's happening, there is a part of them that is still conscious. So then that becomes the part that experiences the abuse And then when it's all over, continues to carry the abuse, but then it gets pushed away behind an amnesic wall so that then when the person, the the rest of the person becomes conscious again, whether it be later on after the abuse or even the next morning when they wake up, it's almost like they can convince themselves that that didn't happen. Mm. And so they, because they've still got to get up and often go to school, um, engage with the family and what have, get on with normal life. If they still held a conscious memory of what happened, say, the night before, um, my personal belief is I think we'd have children suiciding. I agree. They would mm.
2: go insane. Mm.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And this is, for me, um, based on the stories that I've heard and um, how people have survived, dissociation isn't something to be feared. It's actually something to be in awe of because I believe it's actually God's ultimate gift of grace and mercy on our humanity Hmm. that when children do experience such horrors that most people can't even begin to imagine, Hmm. the brain has a way of actually managing that until they get to a time in their life where they can actually get the help that they need.
2: I think that's really great that you say that because I believe that God gives us the gift of dissociation to mm. survive. Totally. And I think that what happens is that it becomes something that's seen as a mental, uh, you know, disorder or a yes. mental health issue. And it's not to say that, that, that hasn't, for example, been part of my journey. Mm. You know, I've experienced a lot of depression and suicidal ideation and obviously substance abuse, but I don't see myself as mentally ill.
1: No. <laughs> mm. I
2: just see myself as, uh, you know, somebody that has experienced extreme trauma and because my mind has been fractured through dissociation i'm not whole Hmm. i don't operate with a strong sense of self so if things come up and i get triggered or you know that those parts of memory get activated i go back into those predominantly fear-based states and a shame-based identity, because hmm. you know ultimately God wants us to heal. He mm-hmm. wants yep. us to be whole. Yep. Um, but that's a process and a journey. Absolutely. And when your mind's been fragmented and off into various parts or personalities or whatever you want to kind of call that, um, you know that that that's again that takes time for that to come up.
1: But I think even further to that, Donna is, um, which I'm sure has been part of your experience, is that if if all the parts of yourself that how trauma memories came to the surface all at one time, you would probably go crazy. I think so. And And I think, yeah, I think
2: we see that, Mm. and I think there are people that are, you know, that have gone psychotic Mm. and are are in in mental institutions, and I think that actually, you know, if you drill deeper, I wonder.
3: But isn't this God's grace, that he only gives you enough that you can handle?
2: Yeah. I think so. I believe that. Yes, Mm. I do too
3: well let's continue with your journey. so what happened after you you met these two ladies and
2: well that's when I, I I found another woman who was in America and I started to Skype with her and she was she really understood that the process of ministry to satanic ritual abuse survivors was something that you needed to do like, actually, really every day, ideally, uh, or a few times a week, etc. So, um, whereas these women, you know, didn't necessarily operate in in, in that thinking. Um, And that was, uh, it it wasn't enough for me. And so, um, I really started to have a relationship with this woman on Skype, and she prayed for me. And she became like my spiritual mum, and helped me in, in, in all areas of my life. And I had to go through a lot of like disbelief uh that i had you know because you know i didn't understand how i could be amnesic and i didn't understand that i had these different parts and i didn't believe myself and that's what i would always revert back to
1: was this uh, i'm just making this up you know a lot of survivors report that it's like they have moments where they they just know that it's true they just know but then they have other times where they're going, am I just making this up?
2: Yeah. I've, you know, like I've seen, you know, movies or I've read books or yeah. I'm just, you know, lying. And, and again, that's programming. I was told that if mm. I ever had a memory or if I, you know, that no one would believe me, that I was a liar, mm. um, and I'm making it all yeah. up. So, so that was you know, part of the abuse. That's part of the abuse. Mm. <laughs> yeah. And I understand that now. And so I also, you know, saw, a a secular therapist Mm -hmm. um, who helped me as well. And we did a lot of art therapy together and, you know, the drawings that I was doing was very like satanic and, and uh, ritual abuse. And I think through that process, like I just, I had to work really hard to believe myself Mm -hmm. and just to kind of say, okay, no matter what happens, I've got enough evidence to know that I have been abused and, and bad things have happened.
3: You know, -hmm. it's so hard to relate because a lot of times if something happens, we know about it. But because of all the reasons that Deborah and you have been mentioning, it was suppressed. It was kind of that God given protective measures helps you kind of just put that out of your mind.
1: I think there's even more to it than that, Eric. Mm -hmm. And that is that at the absolute core of every child, no child wants to believe that their parents are capable Mm -hmm. of Mm -hmm. perpetrating what these parents perpetrate. I've come to really because I understand that intuitively children are born with this understanding of what parents are meant to be like yeah it's yeah. not it's not a cognitive knowing it's an intuitive knowing mm-hmm. that with their parents they're meant to feel safe they're meant to feel nurtured they're mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. it, it's not something that's ever articulated my, my rationale I think god plays
3: that in all of us
1: absolutely mm-hmm. Because if children did not have this innate knowing that how they're being treated is somehow wrong, they wouldn't be traumatized. It would just be a programmed mm, normal. Yeah, good point. But why did even even without SRA, when children are neglected, when they're not attended to by a, a nurturing parent, they become distressed. How do they know to become distressed?
2: Well, they know because also they need they need to get their needs met. It's a yeah. form of primal survival, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, because they actually cannot fend for themselves, yeah. so it's you know again, it's, it's also a survival ingrained yeah. mechanism, yeah. Uh, to be distressed, which is an alarm call to go and you know yeah. for, for help to come.
0: You're listening to The Story. Today, our guest once again is Donna, who's a satanic ritual abuse survivor. Also joining in the conversation is Christian counsellor Deborah Battersby, who specialises in issues relating to childhood trauma and abuse. We'll hear the conclusion of Donna's story when we return. If this program has highlighted something you'd like prayer for, we'd love to pray for you. Today, once again, our guest is Donna, who's a satanic ritual abuse survivor, and she's sharing her journey to healing. Also taking part in the conversation is Christian counsellor Deborah Battersby, who specialises in issues relating to childhood trauma and abuse and has counselled satanic ritual abuse survivors. Now, here's more of Donna's story. So what was next on your
3: journey to spiritual health and growth?
2: Well, I think... It was just that, you know. It was a process of just trying to live and do life and learn about God and develop a relationship and try and heal. And I think that that's what the past sort of seven years has been. And I think it's just, I've kind of come to this point where I'm just accepting that it's, like, it's just not over yet. Like, Mm. it's like, I feel like I'm only... A quarter or a halfway mm. there and sometimes it's hard for me to kind of say you know I'm dissociative I've got dissociative identity disorder um, I've got you know this trauma because actually there's a large part of me that you know functions extremely well I mm-hmm. would say that I'm very high functioning you know, I'm quite capable in my career you know since getting sober um, my life's really gotten back together which is absolutely from amazing. outward
3: appearances.
2: From outward appearances, you know, like yeah. and I'm healthy and I achieve and I'm very goal focused and I'm helping other women and mm-hmm. other survivors and you know, so I'm Yeah leading, you're leading a group. Now. I'm leading a group which is like a boxing and a writing workshop and mm-hmm. I am you know, so outwardly everything's okay, but I think kind of underneath, you know, I just know, like, I'm still really fractured and because I don't have the full memories back or full healing, um, uh, you know, I think it's just that kind of continual battle for me to, like – Like I have to have a relationship with God And I have to kind of deepen that process continually Mm -hmm. Because I think for me, you know, my default is constantly You know, that I'm bad, that I'm evil, um, that I'm worthless All these things you
3: were told as a child Yeah, and
2: that, you know, ultimately, you know, that I should die And, you know, and and so that's actually like operate sadly Kind of underneath my Mm day-to-day existence Um, And, you know, no one would necessarily pick that Out on the streets or in Mm -hmm. my work environment And the people I think would be like gobsmacked that that would be a part of my existence. But, you know, really, unfortunately, that's kind of Mm. the state that I go to, you know, at night where I am just like, you know, really, God, like, can I just go and join you? You know, Mm. like, and, and so that's, you know, so I guess it's just, you know, what, what now? Like, it's just a, every week I go to therapy, Every week I, you know, develop, yeah. or, you know, every day I, I work at developing a relationship with God, you know, th- with Jesus. And um, sometimes I do it better than others. Mm-hmm. And I go to work and I do the things that, you know, I do. And I just really pray that God heals me and or continues to heal mm-hmm, me mm-hmm. Um I think I have a fervent desire to give back and to do and I, you know, and that's a great asset and strength. I think I was programmed to keep really busy, to Mm. block out my memories. Um, so on the one hand, that's really great because actually I quite achieve a lot. But Mm. on the other, it's also really difficult because it's very difficult for me to just be present mm. yeah. and and be still. So you know, God, I am a challenge for God because yeah, actually, because there
3: is that verse about being still. Totally, yeah.
2: Like because God's going mm. like, yeah, you know, like I'm happy to change you, Donna, but like you know, you're not very still, so I can't actually get in. And, <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and meanwhile I'm like running and I'm like, come on, God, you know, like come on, change me, you know. And he's yeah. like, yeah, but just slow down, you know. Mm. And that's the yeah. bit that I find very hard to do. But, you know, in the last couple of years in particular, I've probably moved into more recovery healing phase that is focused on notions of love, self-acceptance and self-care. And when I operate in those higher principles or higher ways of living and thinking, which is, Mm -hmm. you know, I think kind of living in Christ-centred identity, uh, you know, I'm good, I deserve this and, you know, like be kind to me and, Mm -hmm. you know, love me, love my neighbour attitude um then i know that 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 helps me but my mm. default unfortunately is still very to go into the darkness
3: so you have to make a conscious decision daily to not go to your default which is i'm bad i'm no good but to know i know that god loves me
2: it's not even a conscious it's an unconscious it's like that's just my brain goes there so uh i just have to like uh, the conscious decision, yes, is that I, I've got to pray mm-hmm. um, and read my Bible and, um, you know, ground myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Sometimes I don't do that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I, and if I leave that for a couple of days, I start to run really, really mm-hmm. rough, you know, like mentally.
3: Well, know? all of us are supposed to turn our days over to the Lord on a daily basis. But you're saying you have to do I that. I have no choice. You have no choice.
2: Um, mm-hmm. And perhaps people can... Uh, not do that, but mm. still know that God's with them. Mm. Um, but, you know, I think absolutely it's a principle of Christianity mm. that essentially we all should do and adopt. Yeah, and yeah. I, it's not a, a bad thing, it's a great thing. I actually function incredibly well. I don't know why it's so hard for me to do that. Mm. <laughs> like, it makes me feel good. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm a better person when I do that. But she used to actually kind of get there, mm-hmm. like there's blocks. And yeah, I, I'm not, yeah. I don't think that that's, um, uh, I it's think a- other people experience yeah, I, that I think too. we
3: can all identify with yeah. not being as uh, devout and uh, turning over our lives as, as much as we should on a daily basis. Now, Deborah, I wanted to ask you, you've had the privilege of journeying with people like Donna, who've been in the darkest, I mean, they've had horrific things done to them as a child, the exact opposite of a nurturing parent. Yeah. But yet you've journeyed with them as the light gets turned on. Can you kind of share with us what that experience is like for you?
1: Wow. Um, I think first and foremost, I know when I'm in that space with clients, gosh, I was getting emotional, Um, it's sacred ground, It's absolutely sacred ground to, and I feel incredibly privileged to, I guess, work alongside with Jesus. And I don't mean that in any religious flippant thing. It's um, he and I kind of have this thing that if he's not going to work today, neither am I. (laughs) Um, Because when these kind of traumatic memories come to the surface in our humanity, there is squat that we can do to fix that but I have the, the awesome privilege of bringing people to that place, even those parts that um, are terrified of Jesus because of um, the way he's been distorted in in through the, the traumas um, and seeing them actually come to a place where they're willing to take a risk and let Jesus engage with them in that traumatic memory and... I guess the only way I can describe it is that I have seen Jesus in a, in a moment in time undo what I would refer to as Satan's best work mm. to keep a person traumatized, um, under his control. Um, and All those
3: lies for years that they believed.
1: I just watched them just dissipate. And that does not say that every memory, every trauma, that their entire life is mm. healed. It's, um, it's a process. It's a, it's a very, very much process, and it's one that you, you need to be patient with the process because if if too many memories come to the surface at one time... Um, it's just too much. It's just too much. And again, mm-hmm. it goes back to that overwhelming mm-hmm. flooding um, where yeah people, people what, would lose their mind. Would
3: you describe it like seeing somebody having a tremendous weight lifted off their shoulders? Is that how you describe it, or how would you describe it?
1: Uh, well, let me let me talk about how they describe it, the, the, the survivors themselves, mm-hmm. where in one moment, whereas they're, they're remembering the memory, they're in complete trauma. So, this is not something that people can just go, oh, I think I'm going to make up this memory and I'm going to be all traumatized. It's, there, there is an affect to it that people cannot just make mm, up. Yeah. And then once Jesus engages with them, brings his truth, whether it be words, whether it be an action, all of a sudden, it's like they're at peace and there's Mm. this calm that just comes in. And then when they go back after Jesus has done whatever it is that he needs to do, there's two things then that happen is that they then look at that memory and it's just a memory. All the trauma that was in it, the beliefs, they're just gone. Mm. And then typically I see Jesus in, he says that he has another place for them now, that they don't need to stay in that place where the trauma's been, and he takes them to a safe place. And he obviously has a very distinct place that he takes with because the number of people I've worked with, SRA and non-SRA, Jesus takes them all to the, they all describe the same place.
3: Is that right? How did they describe it?
1: Um, As a meadow, Hmm. It's, no, it's, I'm,
3: I'm thinking Psalm 23 yeah it makes it's, it's me a like, meadow yeah.
1: um, even just yesterday I was working with some an SRA and um, they had a part went and they'd been their experience was repeatedly being locked up in a room hmm. and so they were terrified about going anywhere that was going to be another locked room and Jesus mm-hmm. said, just said to them the place I have has no locked doors. Mm. And he took them to this meadow, and they're describing this place. They said, oh, it never rains here, but the grass is always green, there's butterflies, there's waterfalls. Mm. There's." But they, they just describe this same place. And that's across nearly 20 years. I was probably about 30 years of one in prayer ministry. And as a professional, mm. people describe this place, this meadow, Hmm. Or it's um, a mansion, and they talk about the rooms and how the rooms have got exactly what it is that they need, If they need, particularly if parts need to rest. And that's particularly with SRA. Parts are absolutely exhausted from all the years of just carrying these traumas, and suddenly when they've let the traumas down and give them to Jesus, they're always overcome with, I'm so tired. Hmm. And Jesus says, I've got a place for you, and he takes them. And again, they all talk about this mansion Mm. and these rooms with beds and dunas and Mm. then there's angels in there to minister to them. Um, So, they're the kind of experiences that that people report back to me. But in themselves, they just feel more peaceful.
2: Mm
3: -hmm. So, what a wonderful message. There is hope no matter what you've gone through. However, traumatic, and unfortunately, it's horrific some of the experiences that the people have gone through. But Jesus is stronger.
2: Absolutely, yeah. I think I will just say though that, like Christians, it, it's worth Christians understanding that that process can take years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, like it all sounds uh, very lovely, and mm. and it is, you know, for that part. But you know, it's just one part. It's just one part. It's just one part. Um, You know, I'm dealing with like I think in my head hundreds, you know, thousands of fragments. Yeah. Um, So you know, again, um, it's it's just important to put it into context. Um, It is beautiful, but in this particular lady
1: that I was working with, yes, I've been working with her for it's got to be seven years now. So these are long-term clients. So
3: it's many visits to the mansion to the meadow so oh, if, yeah, oh yeah absolutely yeah. oh yeah no. yeah it's not well, just one hey it's all it's no all that's no. Right. yeah
2: i think god can heal in chunks yeah. yeah um yeah so i'm not sure if we we, we should yeah i think yeah, the way that god works is yeah. is really up to god yeah um mm-hmm. i don't think it's always that uh yeah black and white yeah no yeah. i mm. would
1: agree
3: donna thank you so much for sharing your story with us today mm. thanks eric deborah thanks for giving your insights as well
1: No worries, thanks Eric. Thanks for the invitation. It was a pleasure to be here with you, Donna. Thanks, Deborah.
0: That was Eric Scatterbo chatting with satanic ritual abuse survivor Donna, along with Christian counsellor Deborah Battersby. Deborah specialises in issues relating to childhood trauma and abuse, and as we heard, has counselled satanic ritual abuse survivors. It was great to hear the difference Jesus makes in the lives of people suffering with traumatic abuse and the powerful healing he brings to their lives. It's comforting to know that no matter what lies the evil one might try to tell us, God is greater. And all those who put their faith in his son Jesus are set free from any hold the devil might have over us. As the Bible says, Greater is he that is in you that is God, than he that is in the world, meaning the devil. God is more powerful than any evil force in this world, and through our faith in Christ, we are overcomers as well. Good news for all of us. Well, thanks for joining us for part two of Donna's story. I'm Jimmy Colfax, encouraging you to share your story with someone today. Next time on The Story. Well, if you really want to be creative, make sure you know the Creator. That's probably the key. And like people ask me all the time, what's the key to photography? And they want me to tell them an F-stop, some course they can do. And I tell them, do you really want to know the key to photography? Mm -hmm. And that is Jesus. Get to know him. Get connected to God. Mm -hmm. I think God wants us to be creators just like he is. Ken Duncan is a gifted and prolific landscape photographer who's well known for his photos of nature. Ken Ham is an internationally known creationist. Both are prominent Australian Christians who focus on God, the Creator, each in their own ways. We'll hear both their stories next time. The Story, Story. just another way vision is connecting faith to life.